If you have a Bible with you, I'd love for you to turn to Isaiah chapter 55. And if you don't have a Bible, whether it be a Bible like this or on your phone, if you don't have a Bible, we have Bibles underneath the seats in front of you. And you can take one of those Bibles out and turn to the Old Testament, Isaiah chapter 55. We're going to be in just the first five verses this morning. Isaiah 55. Last night, I was at a banquet uh, for raising money for a, the children's ministry that I also work with and for our Spanish-speaking chapter, and a lot of people there. It was a, it was a great party. It was a lot of fun. Uh, how many of you have been to some real expensive parties? Yeah, you may have seen a few, yeah. Uh, in our cultures uh, around here in L.A., we've got parties for for people when they're 13 we've got parties for people when they're 15 we've got parties for people when they're 18 we've got parties for people when they're 21 we've got parties for people when they're 50 I took a jump there because somewhere in between it just kind of all meshes together well there is actually a listing of all things for the costliest party on record Sultan of Brunei, 50th birthday party in 1996. Still holds the record. It's his 50th birthday, one of the most extravagant parties ever had. He entertained his guests with a $16 million Michael Jackson concert. $16 million. Served the best food the best drink, and the total bill. You thought your party was expensive? The total bill for the event, held in 1996, may I remind you, was $27.2 million. That, my friends, is a party. I, of course, decided to run that through a cost inflation calculator to see what that party would cost today and it came in at 51 million dollars is what that would cost today now I would submit to you that none of us will ever be invited to a party like that but I would also submit to you today in thinking about the extravagance of some of the things that we celebrate and parties that we are a part of I would submit to you today that the invitation that you will see and we will read together in Isaiah 55 here is far more costly. It's far greater a coronation, far greater a banquet than anything that has ever been planned by anyone. And the beauty of this invitation, of course, is that we are all invited, invited by the king of the universe to the wedding banquet of the Lamb. We get to sit at a table with Jesus and feast with him. I mean, have you ever really just pondered that for a few moments? And when I have, I was like, that's pretty awesome. That is incredible. And it's not just a one-time event. We feast for all eternity. 
And we need to remember that we are invited. In my joyful task today, and it is pretty joyful, these first five verses here, my joyful task is to either invite you for the first time today to this banquet or to remind you of the invitation you accepted and what that all entails. And we see right here in verse 1, who is invited? Oh, everyone who thirsts, come to the waters. And you who have no money, come, buy and eat. Come, buy wine and milk without money and without cost. Why do you spend money for what is not bread and your wages for what does not satisfy? Listen carefully to me and eat what is good and delight your soul in richness. Now, verse 1 there where it says, everyone who thirsts, come to the waters. Those, those who have no money, it's separating out two different types of people in this section of Scripture. I, I find it very interesting you, you may have not seen it unless you slow down and look at what is being said here. Because, see, the invitation that is being given, this gospel invitation, understands the different condition that we find ourselves in in life. Not everyone experiences the same things in life, right? You just don't. But everyone is in need of this invitation, now, some people get that they're needy, and others don't seem to know it as well. So first here, we have the thirsty, the, the destitute. These are people with nothing to offer. These are people that know they have nothing to offer. And the second group we see are the self-sufficient, but they're dissatisfied. People who have resources, they have the options, as we would like to say. They're trying the different things, but they're never satisfied. Verse 1 focuses in on the thirsty, the destitute. God is inviting deeply thirsty people who are dying, withering in life, have no resources whatsoever, and they know it. God is inviting them. These are people, and this may be you today, that look at your life and it looks like a field, it feels like a field of dead weeds. Like a field out in the Central Valley in the middle of the winter that's just all brown. Barren. Nothing there. No fruit on the vine. And you know it. Maybe life has dashed all of your hopes and dreams. Everything you've tried, everything you've tried to bring meaning to your life, ends up fruitless. You're discouraged. Your soul feels like you're crawling around in the Sonoran Desert. 
and it feels like if you don't get some water soon, and I know this is weird to say after 14 inches of rain, but if you feel inside, like if you don't get something to drink soon in life, you're going to die, and you know it. And I don't want to make light of this at all because you realize how high the suicide rate is these days. These are people that fit one or two categories, and God mentions both of the categories here. And you sit there, and sometimes maybe you come into church for the first time in a long time, or maybe you've never been to church. This is your last stop on the track because it seems like the last hope. And you go, I have nothing to offer, Scott. I, I, I have zip. I'm, I'm dead man walking. You go, I have no nothing to offer in the bargaining position of life. I've got no ace up my sleeve to, to flip down and change everything. I have reached the end of hope and I have nothing in my hands that I feel like I can trade. Nothing. And what does this verse say to that? Everyone who thirsts Come to the waters. And you who have no money, come buy and eat. Come buy wine and milk without money and without cost. Jesus is literally standing here. Isaiah is picturing this for us. Jesus is standing before your soul right now with his arms stretched wide and says, I know you have nothing to offer. Come. Come, all of you who have nothing to offer. All of you who get that you are at the end of your rope. Come to me. And I will give you life. So that's the first group of people that this looks at. The, the second group here in verse 2 because if you don't understand it's another group, it doesn't make sense. Why do you spend money for what is not bread and your wages for what does not satisfy? See, in some ways, maybe today, you are here and you go, I, I know I've got options. I know I have resources. But verse 2 is for you. You do have the money to spend. And you're spending it. You're buying things. You have energy by which you are laboring and you are working every day to better your life. You're working in some ways to improve your soul maybe. You're reading the, the best, you know, be your best you type of books. You're you're looking at life and, and you're looking at all of these different things that the world provides. But this text here, verse 2, calls you to be honest about this. 
You're spending your money on what does not satisfy. You're achieving, you're earning, you're working, you're accomplishing, but honestly, you're empty. One pastor puts it this way, he is still spending and still working, dreaming, chasing, searching, experimenting, different job, different city, different car, different house, different wife, new computer, new boat, new books, new iPad, new bike, new grills, new season tickets, new diet, new looks. There's still a lot of looking around left in this person, but no pot at the end of the rainbow. No fountain of youth. Every triumph fizzles out. The applause fades. The boat is boring. The style passes. Everything new gets old, and the options to try get fewer and fewer. He goes on to say, when you're honest, you know there is a canyon of need and longing on the inside of your soul. No matter how self-sufficient you look on the outside, and God knows even better than you, he has you in mind when he says, why do you spend your money for bread, which is no bread, and labor for dreams that do not satisfy? Everyone in here that is not a believer today fits in one of those two categories. Either you're totally destitute, no hope, you're in here because you're at the end of your rope, or you've been striving, you're filled with resources, and no hope. The ending point's the same. Isn't that interesting? The question is, is do you know it? Do you know that the next thing you're going to do isn't going to work? Well, this is the people, and maybe this is you, that the Lord is inviting to the table right now. And what is he inviting? Well, let's read verses 1 and 2 again. Everyone who thirsts, what is, what is offered here? Everyone who thirsts, come to the waters. And you who have no money, come, buy and eat. Come, buy wine and milk without money and without cost. Why do you spend money for what is not bread and your wages for what does not satisfy? Listen carefully to me and eat what is good. Delight your soul in richness. This is here the message God wants every member of the human race to hear. Don't just sit there thinking about this is what God is saying, hesitating, making excuses, get up, come over here. That word come means what? Move thy behind. Move, move. I have spiritually rich privilege prepared for you. And he's saying, buy in. Buy into that. Someone else has already paid the bill. Have you ever been at a restaurant when that's happened to you? It's one of the coolest things on the planet. You're there, you're eating, and all of a sudden the, the, it's time to get up and leave and you're waiting for the server to you know, give you the, the bill. And 
And you're like, oh, yeah, we're ready for the bill now. And the server looks at you and says, uh, a person that's here just paid your bill. And what is the first thing that you do when you say that? <laughs> no, you don't go, wow, you look first. <laughs> who, who knows me in this room? Who's doing this for me? You're looking around. You're like, could it be? Could, could, I, I, that makes no sense. I don't know anyone in this room. And in this case, this is Jesus who knows you like no one else. And in this culture, the reason water was presented is it's, it is life. The abundance of water in the picture of this is a special blessing. Wine, milk, bread, staples of the diet. The people were living on substitutes and that did not nourish them. They needed the real thing, which only Jesus could give. In Scripture, both water and wine are pictures of the Holy Spirit. In John 7 and Ephesians 5, Jesus is what? He's the bread of life in John 6. And his living word is like what? It's the milk, 1 Peter 2, 2. Our Lord Jesus had Isaiah 55, 2 in mind when he said, Do not labor for the food which perishes, but for the food which endures to everlasting life. He said that in John 6, 27. Right after that, Jesus said, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me shall not hunger. Whoever believes in me shall never thirst. If anyone thirsts, let him come to me and drink. In John 7. Going to Jesus, coming to him, overflows with satisfaction. And authentic Christian experience comes from what he provides and what he provides only, not what we provide. But knowing that is actually not enough. This section of Scripture, the first three verses actually, tells us here is this open feast of God that is not a soup kitchen, this is the richest food on the planet, the best in the world. And he says, you've got to dive in to the ocean of being in this. And so there is actually, did you, I don't know if you noticed this, but hopefully you do now. It tells us how to receive this, these gifts in verses 1 and 2 portion of verse 3. There's actually 12 commands in these two and a half verses. There's 12. Everyone who thirsts, come to the waters. And all who have no money, come, buy, and eat. Come, buy wine and milk. Listen carefully to me and eat what is good and delight your soul in richness. Incline your ear and come to me. Listen that your soul may live. That's crazy. Twelve little commands 
We're, we're called to do something, to have this relationship with God. We're not to be passive in this. We must obey this amazingly rich, generous invitation. When I got the invitation to speak at the event that I was speaking at last night, I had a decision to make, right? Do I go? Do I accept the invitation? It means I've got to act on it. If I don't act on the invitation, what happens? Nothing, except me not being there. We're not to be passive. We must do what it says. We must come to Christ. Don't turn away. And we come to the mystery of this buying something without money. How do you do that? Well, actually, in the American culture, we do that a lot. It's called debt, but that's not what we're talking about. Well, how do we do this? How do we buy this? Well, first off, let me get some things set, the parameters set. First of all, when it says come and buy without money, it is not stating that this isn't expensive. This is the most expensive thing that happened in the history of the world. God gave his son for you. It is the most expensive gift ever. We can't measure how costly this is. This has been paid in advance. 1 Peter 1, For you know that it was not with perishable things, such as silver and gold, that you were redeemed from the empty way of life handed down to you from your forefathers, but with the precious blood of Christ, a lamb without blemish or defect. That's how it was paid for. It was already paid in Christ's blood. It's why we take communion. We remember what the cost is, was, for us to be with him. And it really solves the question, what do you have to give? Well, whatever you have to give, God's already given it to you. Eliminate that question. But we're going to still ask him, and he gives us some commands then based off that. He's given us ears, right? He's given us ears. Then he tells us to listen, use them, listen to his word, listen to him speak through his word. He's given you faith. See, faith is actually a gift. It's a gift of God. Ephesians 2, 8 and 9. God's the one that gives faith. We're called to do what with that faith? Exercise it. He's given you a heart to see that you are in here today and you're in one of two camps and you feel empty. You see sin. You understand that you are not perfect in the light of who God is. So if he's given you that understanding, then repent. And he's granted you repentance. Repent. You need to do what he has given to you to do. He's given you ears. Listen. 
to the parables. Listen to his word. He's given you faith, then believe in Jesus. He's given you a heart to repent, then repent. And this free gift cannot be purchased. It's only received without money, without cost. He's very clear about this. Charles Spurgeon was preaching on a little section of Romans 3 that we actually use quite a bit around here because it's key to the gospel and our understanding of it. All have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God and are justified freely by His grace through the redemption that came by Christ Jesus. Spurgeon, zeroing in on this, says this, Christ is willing to take your rags and give you His righteousness to be yours forever. But you say, okay, fine, but how do I obtain it? Must, be I, must I be a holy man for many years and then get it? Listen, freely by His grace, freely because there's no price to be paid for it. By His grace because it's not of our deservings. But you say, I've been praying and I do not think God will forgive me unless I do something to deserve it. Spurgeon says, I tell you, friend, if you bring in any of your deservings, you will never get it. God gives away his justification freely. If you bring anything in to pay for it, he will throw it back in your face and will not give you his justification by that. He gives it away freely. And you may ask, what I am to have for this for nothing at all without doing anything? Yes. You are to have it for nothing or else not at all. It is free. And the reality behind that imagery continues then in verses 3 through 5. Incline your ear and come to me, listen that your soul may live, and I will cut an everlasting covenant with you according to the faithful loving kindness of David. Behold, I have given him as a witness to the peoples, a ruler and a commander for the peoples. Behold, you will call a nation you do not know, and a nation which knows you not will run to you because of Yahweh your God, even the Holy One of Israel, for he has adorned you with beautiful glory. What we see here is I'm going to give you an everlasting covenant. And who is the commander? Who is the ruler? Who is the one leading? Jesus is the drink. Jesus is the food of this eternal fest of joy. Jesus is the water that saves our dying souls and gives us eternal life. Jesus is the milk that nourishes our souls and gives us strength and health and vitality. Jesus is the wine that causes us to be exhilarated with joy for all of eternity. Jesus is the bread we feed on and live before the judgment seat of God. Jesus is the feast that will be spread for all eternity because of the empty tomb. And so the text ends here, I think, with what? A clear connection to guess who? Jesus. And in case we miss it. He mentions here this everlasting covenant. 
all of us. He's speaking to all of us who obey the 12 commands there of verses 1 and 2 and part of verse 3. To all who say yes and become believers. He's drawing us individually, collectively into a new covenant made with David. The faithful love promise that was made with David. And you may not know who David is, but David, King David of the Old Testament. The covenant made with Moses was a covenant that brought death because the old covenant, the covenant of law, it said, do this and you will live, but no one could do it. So what happened? It showed them how to die. (laughs) None of us can keep the law. But the new covenant made with Jesus is a covenant of life. David wanted to build a house for the Lord. You may remember that from the Old Testament. You'd say, I, here I am in this place with cedars, and there is the Ark of the Covenant and God's presence, and it's in a tent. Let's see if we can build a big palace for it. And Nathan the prophet, God told David through Nathan the prophet this, When your days are over and you rest with your fathers, I will raise up your offspring to succeed you who will come from your own body and I will establish his kingdom. He is the one who will build a house for my name and I will establish the throne of his kingdom forever. Who is the son of David? Who built a house for God forever? It's Jesus actually. And that question is resolved in the very first verse of the New Testament. Did you know that? A record of the genealogy of Jesus Christ, the son of David. It's the first thing that we learn about Jesus in the New Testament. He is the fulfillment of the Davidic covenant. He is the one that God is talking about in those verses. He is the one. He is the son of David who is going to sit on the throne forever and ever. And he sits on the throne. And what does he say to us, everyone? Come to me. Come to me. Come to the waters You don't need money. And if you come and you eat, if you listen, if you eat what is good, if you eat the fatness of His Word and His Spirit, if we eat what is good and we delight ourselves in that, if we incline our ear and come to him, if we hear what he has to say, we will enter a kingdom on the throne of which Jesus sits forever and ever. That is what is promised here. Compare that to what is in our world today. Social media, internet, all of the different forms of communication we have. What is everyone doing? They're listening, aren't they? They're listening for some sort of truth that they want to believe in. 
And Jesus said many, many years ago, listen to me. Then you will really be satisfied. Look at our world today. Look at all of the bizarre, weird things that everyone's listening to. How satisfied does everyone look? And act. It's crazy. And all along, Jesus calmly says to all of us, Come to me. I I get you're thirsty. I get you've tried everything. Delight in me. And Jesus is the witness to the nations. It's told us here. He's, He's the witness. He came to testify the truth. Christ is calling all the nations. Go into all the world and teach the gospel. Well, the gospel's about him and him alone. Go into all the world and teach the gospel, baptizing people in my name and, and building them up in me and then going out and doing it again and more and more. But just like many other people in the world, many people don't like to acknowledge his authority. Well, the weird part about not acknowledging his authority is it doesn't matter. (laughs) He's still in charge. All authority is given to who? To Jesus. All authority in heaven and earth have already been given to him. He sits on the throne. So the applications of this are very, very simple. If you came in here today lost, if you came in here today outside of Christ, yes, this message is for you. Do you know that you're a spiritual beggar? Do you know you have nothing to offer? Then come to the waters and buy without money and without cost. There is hope in Christ. And if you have been striving and striving to find forgiveness and find salvation and find satisfaction, striving to find it, and you come up empty, give up that fruitless search and come to Christ. That's what he says. Come. But for those of us who are Christians, it's the same for us. The first moment you realized I, I needed to come to him and then you believed and you called on the name of the Lord and you were justified, this text is calling you to do what? Share. Because we're not exempt as Christians. I, I, I became a Christian years ago. I, I know for me, I became a believer in fourth grade. Does that mean I don't need to come to the waters? No. I need to come and eat daily. 
I need to come and feast all the time on his word. And you know what? When I do that, and when I'm with you as believers in his church, I'm satisfied. It's like, this is amazing. Are you feeding your souls? Are you delighting in the richest affair, living for things that matter instead of things that don't matter? We had a chili cook-off on Thursday night. My chili lost. Matter of fact, it didn't just lose. It only got one vote, and I figured out that that was my wife. This is why I love her. <laughs> but you know what? Who cares about the chili that was there? It was about the people. And people came afterwards, the next day or two, or just, you know, that evening even. It was like, oh, we got to do this more. We got to feast together more. And I'm like, hey, that's all fine and good until you try to put this thing together every week. <laughs> No, but it's just like, but it's, it wasn't satisfied because there was good chili there. It was satisfied because there were redeemed people. And we were feasting together, knowing that we're all going to be in heaven together. We're living for the same kind of stuff, all of us in this room Remember to come to the waters. And that, that begs us to remember a few things. We need to remember to not spend time, energy, and effort on things that do not satisfy. How much time do you spend alone in the Word of God daily compared to your favorite activity? What's your average time in God's Word? What are you doing with quiet times? Are, are you coming to the water and drinking? Because, see, like, I could give you a whole list of things, like, if you do this in life, and you do this in life, and you do this in life, and be real specific about money management and all these types of different things, I can give you little bits and pieces of things that are good and helpful. But if it isn't grounded on the big thing, God and His Word, then those little things are just little band-aids. Are we coming to the waters and drinking? Are we drinking the water, the milk, the wine? Are we feeding on the bread of life? What is going on with us? And I would argue that when you actually do feed on the word of life and the bread of life and the wine and the drink, a lot of those things that go on in life get answered immediately by God's word and gives you the wisdom to grow in him. And you already know some of the answers because you know his word. I also know some Christians out there that are pretty gloomy. Stop it. And I think people are gloomy 
as believers because they're not obeying this simple command. They are not listening to Christ. They are not putting their souls before him and calling on him and going to the waters that he offers and the wine and the milk and the bread that he offers. Feed your soul in Christ. Linger there. And then be a witness to what happens. So if you are here today and you are broke spiritually, you are at the end of your rope, and you may be at the end of your rope, even as verse 2 says, with a trailer of stuff behind you. Come to him. Don't wait any longer. Believe in him. Answer his call on your life. And if you are a Christian, you are surrounded by people who are dying spiritually. Please remember that. Have a heart. Have compassion on them. Have a conversation with them tomorrow at work or at the college campus. The neighbor, I think most of our college age that go to Christian colleges need to remember many of your people at college are not believers. Just because you're at a Christian school doesn't mean they're Christians. And you know, all you have to say is something like this. Hey, I heard this sermon yesterday and it was amazing. Anyway. <laughs> Didn't even drop that part. I heard this sermon yesterday, and it's just five, five verses in Isaiah 55. Can I read those five verses to you? You know what you've done? You've allowed God to speak the evangelism words, the reaching out words for you, instead of you having to create it yourself. And you simply ask, are you thirsty? Do you ever feel thirsty inside spiritually? And start the conversation and see where it leads. And it may be absolutely amazing that it leads someone right to the feet of Jesus. So two things as we close here. If you came in here today and maybe you've not been to church in a long time and you'd like to Start the process of, okay, I, 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 need to, I need to ask some questions here. Well, come down front with, with me here. Daniel will be in the back. Ron will be back there as well, along with Kirk. We'd love to just, hey, man, we'll set up a time, have some coffee with you, whatever. Jenny's available with the gals there, Sarah as well. And we would love just to chat and see what's going on. And then for those of us who are believers, 
it's time to have compassion on the person next door. And remember that they fit one of two categories. But both categories need Christ. Okay? Let's stand together and pray. Lord, we thank you for the opportunity to be here today. Lord, I pray right now if there's anyone here today